Welcome everyone to the Triangles webinar. Today is November 11th, 2019. We're working within the time of the approach to the Scorpio full moon, the second day of preparation. So we know that it's a, a potent time within our planetary life to work as Triangles members to contact, hold, and distribute the powerful energies that are pouring in at this time into the service of all forms of planetary life. So we hold these webinars each week to strengthen the work of Triangles because of the crisis period in which we're in, all Triangles workers can play a vital role in uplifting and transforming human consciousness. So three people in triangles agree to link each day visualizing an etheric uh, triangular formation between themselves. And then they connect with the larger planetary network of all triangles workers. And as the network is visualized, they sound the great invocation, which releases the energies of light, love, and the will to good to all people who can respond to spiritual stimulation when it's released into the atmosphere. So if you do respond to this idea of planetary service and would like to consider forming a triangle, you can place your name in the chat box and two people on the webinar will surely agree to form a triangle with you. So today we are fortunate to have uh, as our guest, um, Starling David Hunter III, who is going to speak to us on the poetics of the Great Invocation. Starling has had a long and deep connection with the work of triangles and has done a lot to promote it. In fact, he'll probably tell you something about um, one of his activities on a, an app called Insight Timer, where he has a large network of people who he's introducing the work of triangles to. He also um, has a professional background that's been divided between industry and academia. He has worked as an electrical engineer at the Boeing Company in Seattle and as a compensation analyst at Exxon Chemical. And his academic posts have been at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the American University of Sharjah, and Carnegie Mellon University. Starling's published, reviewed, and edited numerous academic papers on the strategic use and organizational consequences of management information systems. And he's also written a number of books on different aspects of the Ageless Wisdom teachings. And so we really look forward to hearing from Starling a little bit later in our broadcast. But now, as we always do, we're going to begin with a very brief visualization followed by sounding of mantra. So let's link in thought with each other. Visualizing ourselves as a group, a sphere of lighted purposeful energy in alignment with all triangles workers everywhere. And at the center of this sphere, visualize the group soul at one with the world teacher, radiating and enlivening all triangles workers everywhere.
and see spinning out from this inmost center the radiation of love and see it raying forth as a mental influence to others. And now visualize this love as an emotional benediction to others. And as a vital life radiating out through all the worlds. Radiance are we and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. So on this day of preparation for our work together at this exact time of the Scorpio full moon, we might want to consider the energies that are available to us at this time. For as you know, they're shifting constantly, bringing new colors, new notes, new rays, new constellational lives, and new planetary influences all of which form various and shifting patterns as they flow into our planet through its three centers and then into our consciousness. So when we consider the opportunities of this time and particularly of this day, we know that there are a number of factors that come into consideration here. One which we might not always remember um, and often think that the Leo full moon is predominantly the festival wherein we work with the energies of Sirius. But in fact, we would be remiss if we didn't remember the sign of Scorpio, which the Tibetan links very powerfully as well with this great star of sensitivity whose um, hierarchy forms the prototype for our planetary hierarchy. So it's a very important star. We're told our Logos has a, an intimate relationship with the great Logos on Sirius, like a chela, where our Logos is a chela of that great life. And so, of course, we in our limited consciousness cannot uh, tap into that subtle and high vibration from that great life. Nonetheless, we can act as a an outpouring ground, you might say, for the energies that the Logos himself is contacting. There are other major stars that sometimes the Tibetan highlights as important in the um, unfolding life of a sign or constellation. And we're told that overshadowing the great constellation of Scorpio, there is a, a link with the star um, 
serious, as I said, but also with um, Mercury. Mercury is the planet which rules not only the fourth ray, which is the great ray life that pours through the constellation of Scorpio, but it also becomes the planetary life that acts as a distributing energy within our system. So the energies, the fourth ray, pour through Scorpio, which then pour through the heart of our sun and through the planetary life associated, which in this case is Mercury. And as many of you might know, today is a particularly potent day for this alignment to occur as we find it right on an alignment now between the planet Mercury and the heart of the sun. It's called a Mercury passage. We might like to consider it to be a type of eclipse of Mercury, something the astronomers are taking note of. It's not something um, made up by astrologers. But in astrology itself, Mercury plays a key role it is the closest planet to the sun that has been discovered thus far. And therefore, um, when it passes over the heart of the sun, we can certainly assume that this is a, a very potent time within its planetary cycles. And so when we know that Mercury is said to be one, Mercury and the sun are one, this alignment, which only occurs 13 or 14 times within a century, the last time being three years ago, but the next time, I believe, is in 12 to 13 years, there will not be another direct um, passage of Mercury across the front of the sun. So we know that it's an important uh, moment. We observe the Venus passage, which only occurs 100 and every 112 years or so, but we observe as well now these Mercury passages, which are more frequent. But Mercury is, um, as I said, a very, very important planet in relationship to the Earth. It's much older, much wiser. It is a sacred planet. But like the planet Venus, it is giving uh, a portion of its light to the earth. We're told that it receives seven times the light that the earth receives from the sun and that it gives this light, some of this light to our planet. And so on this day when Mercury is passing over the sun and we're told from the timing that I could understand that this is happening now, started around um, four hours or so ago, and we'll conclude its, its passage uh, just at the, as we're concluding this webinar. So we're in the full tide of this energy, um, which brings in powerfully the energy of the fourth ray. The ray, which um, most of you know is, is powerful in Scorpio. It is the ruling ray energy of the sacred planet Mercury. And it's most um, interesting to note that when I looked on the NASA website, all of these alignments of the 13 to 14 um, alignments of the Mercury and the Sun during this century and the past centuries going back to the 16th century and moving ahead, I believe, to, was to the 23rd century, they're all occurring in the Scorpio-Taurus axis. I think this is not uh, just a coincidence. As you know, Taurus rules the Great Waysak Festival. It's a sign of the Buddha. The fourth ray is very linked with this Buddhic energy. And it's aligned with the new group of world servers. And we're approaching their festival week. So I cannot help but think that the strengthening of this axis by their planetary ruler cannot be um, an insignificant event. So now as we work with our meditation, aligning with this potent moment when Mercury is aligning with the heart of the sun, 
Let's take advantage of this and work together. Let's link in thought as a soul, as a point of love and light with all people throughout the world who are working with this Triangles Meditation Group. We align with the spiritual will. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Naught shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network. Now link with the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle. Hold the group mind open and receptive to this inpouring energy of love.
Visualize light and goodwill circulating around the triangles from point to point and flowing out through the network into the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere, healing and a transforming human consciousness and establishing right human relationships. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. Prior to sounding the great invocation, let's pause to consider the work to be done by the words as they're poured out. And as we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, as a channel through which light and love and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. from the point of light within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center, which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light 
work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. And I'm going to unmute our guest speaker. Uh, let's see. Okay. One second. Oh, I didn't. Hmm. Sorry, I'm having trouble here. Okay. Huh. Uh, okay, sorry. Starling, are you there? Hmm. Um, I don't hear you, Starling. Hmm. I'm not sure. I know you're there. I can't hear you. I don't know if anyone else can hear you. But I can't. Oh, there, now I can hear you. I can hear you now. Uh, I can't hear you very well. Um, okay. Uh, I think I'm going to have to switch back to my laptop. Uh, I was trying another setup because it said I didn't have a good internet connection, but I'll try it from the laptop. So I'll be back in 30 seconds. Okay. Well, during this time when Starling is setting up his computer, I just wanted to make an announcement that um, we've spoken a number of times here about the global silent minute which is going to be occurring um, on December 21st the winter solstice day and it's just been um, Dot Maver and the Sydney unit of service the good Sydney Goodwill unit of service have been spearheading this movement and they've attracted a lot of attention from many um, groups throughout the world and we just received news yesterday that one of our co-workers was in Dharamsala India meeting with the Dalai Lama and he too has agreed to uh, put a focus in his community on this silent minute, which will be at 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time on December 21st. So um, maybe Dot or uh, Wendy would be able to put a link to your website in the chat box for anybody who hasn't yet heard about this movement and so that more and more people can join, sign up and join. So, Starling, let's see, you're muted again. 
uh, unmute. Hello, Starling, are you there? Uh, yes, I can hear you okay. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you better now. Okay, and uh, I'm going to attempt to share now, but it says I cannot share screen while other participant is sharing. Uh, so, um, stop share. Okay, now you should be able to. Now I can, and, and I will go to, so hopefully everyone can see the slide presentation now or some facsimile thereof there we go poetics in the great invocation can everyone see yeah, that i don't know if you can make it full screen or not or uh, if that's i just tried and i think i succeeded in getting that done so i'm i'm seeing it as full screen okay i'm not but that's okay all right maybe others are seeing it as full screen um so again, thank you for the opportunity uh, to be with everyone today, and uh, thank you for the invitation and the uh, and the nice introduction. Um, in in the topic for today is poetics and the great invocation, but of course I want to give a little bit of background about the great invocation and the topic before moving on to that. Um, so one of the things that we know is that the mantra that we know is the great invocation was given to us is the third one, uh, all of which were given for our use between 1936 and 1945. And what those dates have in common is that they were given uh, during a period of great crisis in the human family. Uh, so the first of those, again, was given out in 1936. Um, I'm hearing a little bit of maybe feedback in the background or yeah, um, uh, yeah me too. I, I'm not sure how to correct that. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if it's anything I'm doing, but I'm I'm move I'll move away from uh the maybe this is a little bit better here. I'm not sure if it has anything to do on my end. So uh the great invocation also has a very specific intention. Uh, the one that we know, the third stanza that we use in Triangle's work. Um, and among those things were to focus demand of humanity to a, the highest possible level, and also to give the world a new prayer. Um, and to bring together or to blend two methods hitherto in use of prayer and meditation. So very specific intentions behind it. And I recognize that this word, polysemy, may not be familiar to everyone, but it's really important. So this is another quote from the Tibetan about the great invocation. And polysemy is not the word he uses, but it's one I'm using. It means amenable to multiple understandings or multiple meanings. So it's, you know, multiple semantics. And so uh, this is a quote that some of you may be familiar with, but I'll read it just the same. It says, the wonder of these mantric stanzas is that they are comprehensible to members of the human family and to members of the kingdom of God, by which I presume he means the hierarchy. They mean one thing to the ordinary man, and that meaning is good, powerful, and useful. They mean another thing to the man on the probationary path, for he attaches to words a deeper and more esoteric meaning than is possible to the man who is entirely polarized in his lower nature. These words mean still another thing to the disciple affiliated with and functioning consciously in an ashram. To initiates and to senior members of the hierarchy, they convey a still higher and more inclusive significance. So that's the multiple meanings. There are at least four levels of understanding or interpretation uh, of the invocation. And that seems to be that there was a reason behind that, or that might have been the motivating reason why the Tibetan uh, had asked some of his disciples in Discipleship in the New Age, Volume 2, to take the great invocation up in meditation. He says here, the meaning of this invocation has been expressed in terms which are understandable in a measure to the average person because of its familiar wording. But the true inner implications and significances are of very deep import and are not superficially apparent. I challenge you to penetrate through meditation more deeply into the meaning the vital meaning of these words, these amazing words. And to go one step further, 
He said, I'm anxious to ascertain your reaction to these words, and I'm asking you for an entire year to concentrate your meditative thinking and reflective power upon them. At the end of the year, I would ask you to embody your understanding of the invocation and your interpretation of it in a paper. If truly the result of intuitive perception, it could constitute a useful book, giving the general public a truer comprehension of words which will condition the thinking of spiritually minded people for many decades. So uh, I did that. Uh, I did actually take it up or consider it for a year, sort of, uh, in, in an abstract form of meditation. The result were seven papers called, uh, which I, to which I gave the name, the Compass of Light series. And so I want to talk with you today about the fourth one, which is Poetics and the Great Invocation. Um, so, uh, one more thing that doesn't relate uh, to, well, I'll just say it, uh, it came from the, uh, a treatise on cosmic fire, where we get a definition of a mantra, and it's relevant to poetry, even though the great invocation, as I was going to say, is not a poem per se. Uh, a mantra is a combination of sounds, of words, and of phrases that through virtue of certain rhythmic effects, achieves results that would not be possible apart from them. So essentially what I did in that book was to look, use some of the language of poetic theory and what it says about the rhythm of sounds and words and phrases and apply that to, uh, to the great invocation to see what if could be learned uh, by looking at it through the lens of uh, of poetic analysis. Uh, I do not have training in poetic analysis or any linguistic analysis, so that's why I say at the end that it's my sincere hope that the future holds in store a more thoroughgoing and penetrating analysis. I'm absolutely convinced that either someone who's listening or someone who's not uh, could do a far better job at this uh, than I have, but I'm happy to share with you uh, what I found and start a discussion. Uh, so one of the things that we need to know before getting started is this notion of meter. So poetic analysis involves an analysis of meter. That's the measured arrangement of words in poetry, uh, it, a study of its accentual rhythm of the syllables and the quantity of symbol, syllables or the rhythmic pattern of a stanza, the particular arrangement of the words, such as iambic pentameter, which as we all remember from high school English, was a favorite of, of Shakespeare. So, the two basic forms of meter are iambic and trochaic. There are others, but uh, these are the ones we'll look at today and that have used in this analysis that we'll discuss. The first, iambic, uh, takes pairs of syllables, so you take them two at a time and put stress on the second syllable. So, that time of year thou mayst in me behold. And the trochaic is the opposite. It takes pairs of syllables, but it puts the stress on the first of the two. Tell me not in mournful numbers. So, pretty straightforward. Uh, and again, if you remember from your uh, high school or college English courses about uh, Shakespeare's use of iambic pentameter, uh, that uh, pent there, penta means five. So, for instance, shall I, compare, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Those are five sets of, or five pairs of stressed syllables. And so the iambic, because the stress is on the second, and pentameter, uh, because there are five of them. And so uh, you might have already guessed, uh, thinking forward, that the great invocation uh, has a similar pattern. So here are the lines as we are used to seeing them in the uh, original rather than adapted version, which is the one I'll talk about today. Uh, and as we see it, there are three lines and two sentences and 24 words and 27 syllables and 95 letters. And here's what it looks like when you place the stress on the appropriate syllables in the iambic pattern from the point of light within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. That is the iambic pattern. 
there are pairs of syllables, five. The first syllable, uh, the first word and syllable, of the first line is not stressed. But beyond that, you have five on the first line, five on the second line, and three on the third line, giving a total of 13 metrical feet or 13 feet total. Just total up those numbers. And perhaps it would not surprise you that the second verse, which has the same number of sentences, the same number of lines, the same number of words, same number of syllables, and same number of letters, also has the same metrical pattern. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. Now, the third verse is a little bit different. You notice it's still, it's one sentence instead of two, still on three lines, but the number of words, syllables, and letters is different. And not surprisingly, it has a different metrical pattern. It is the trochaic pattern. So now the syllabus has shifted to the first syllable in each pair, from the center, where the will of God is known. So it's the last word, that is unstressed, and you can see the rest of it there. So there's a, there's a pattern, but what's important is it's still 13. So in the first two, it was five and five and three made 13. Now it's five plus four plus four, but still 13. That'll be important as we'll see in just a few moments. The fourth verse is again uh, the same as the third. It's trochaic, and it has five, four, four. So it's from the center, which we call the race of men, and so on, uh, through. Uh, and so again, we end up with 13 metrical feet. So in our first four verses, we've got 13, 13, 13, 13, which adds up to 52. And now here's something really nice. The first two are iambic, the next two are trochaic, so what to do about the last line? It's only one sentence, it's one line, it's 11 words, 13 syllables, and 44 letters. I'll show you what I came up with for it and why this is important, I believe. And I said the final lines. So if you divide it in the middle, what you find is the first half is trochaic, like verses three and four, light and love and power. But then it switches back to the original iambic of the first two, restore the plan on earth. My friends, I do not think this is accidental. I think this is a very deliberate choice, and it is a very unusual one to find. And in, uh, in the poetry that I've looked at and attempted to meter in the study I've done of poetics, uh, this structure uh, doesn't, it's very unique and I believe doesn't arise by accident. So, what I did after that was to go on and examine or look for patterns of stressed and unstressed syllables throughout the invocation. And I'm happy to share that work with you, the, the book, uh, as a PDF. But let me just show you one of the things that comes through. The reason was keeping track of these various properties of the, of the stanzas. You have seven sentences. So the great invocation is over 13 lines. But there are seven sentences. There are also 13 metrical feet per verse for the first four, and there are 128 syllables in total. That is equal, to those of you who remember your uh, math, uh, that's two to the seventh power. That's two times two, you know, seven times. Uh, I don't think, again, that this is an accidental pattern. I believe that there may be something significant about these um, about these numbers and, and what they represent in the structure of the invocation, shall we say. There are other patterns, and uh, I'd be interested to see if you've detected any already or if any of you have given this any consideration, but I'll offer a few hints about places you might look. I don't want to say exactly what the other ones are that I found just yet because Again, I'm convinced that many of you could do as good a job or better uh, than I've done. And so if I tell you what I found too early, you might be influenced by that and not find what you would find. So uh, one method to proceed 
would be to examine the pattern of stressed and unstressed words and syllables, both within and across the lines and verses. Some of those stressed words embody various rays of aspects of their words associated with light and love and willpower or goodwill. And some stressed words have other semantic properties that when considered in relation to their position and the invocation, where they are in which, which verse or uh, which line, uh, certain geometrical patterns are evident in those words that you'll see laid out if you consider them. So that's all I really wanted to say for now. I'm really hoping that there will be people interested in posing a few questions. So I'm gonna stop sharing at this point or at least uh, hand the back over to Kathy and um, uh, hopefully answer a few or several of your questions in the time we have remaining. Thank you. Whoops. Uh, oh, I don't know. Could you still share your screen? I don't know what happened. Um, or I can put my I could put my screen back. If, yeah. Okay. okay. There you go. Great. Thank you so much, Starling. You've really come up with some really interesting ideas here. I think it's, it's pretty amazing to me. Um, well, again, thanks for giving me the chance to talk and I look forward to answering anybody's questions they have here or afterward. Yeah. Um, maybe you could put your contact information in the chat box for anybody who would like to um, receive your book in PDF sure. form or contact you. Um, so I do have a question while people are maybe thinking of their own. Sure. Um, do you think the great invocation is unique in this regard in having the poetic meter or do other mantras given to us by the Tibetan have the same um, characteristics uh, as far as you've seen? There are definitely others. The one that comes immediately to mind is the mantra of unification, mm. um, at least uh, in, in its original wording. I haven't looked at it in, in the adapted version, but yeah. once, you, once you begin to look for it, you hear it right away. And it's important to understand that this is one of the things that distinguishes you know, regular writing or, or verse uh, from, uh, you know, from, from poetry. And, it, and you can hear it. The sons of men are one and I am one with them. Yeah. I see the love, not hate. And, and so it goes. The, the mantra of fire uh, from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali book it also has, a, uh, has this kind of meter. So it's, it's not uncommon. And because we don't write like this naturally, you have to assume it's deliberate. You can't yeah. write lines and that many words uh, without intending to do it that way. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so why don't you look in the, can you see the chat box on your screen? Uh, let me see. I do see some things that looks like are poking, popping up in the chat box. Yes. Yeah. So why don't you just, um, we don't usually read all of the thank yous because we don't have time. So if you could just read any uh, questions. Let's see. Yes, I would like the PDF. Uh, does the mantra in Dutch have the same structure? Uh, I do not speak Dutch, and this is a really wonderful question. I'm not sure whether it does or whether the people who translated it into Dutch took it consciously into account. Uh, I speak a little bit of German and a little bit of French, and I'm pretty sure that those two do not have the metric metrical properties described. Uh, let's see, uh, this analysis, uh, right, so again, another question about translation. Uh, this is very interesting. See. Um, uh, surely the geomantrum were created by people beyond genius level with divine consciousness? I, I would have to assume so. Uh, it's above my pay grade to say for sure, uh, but yes, that certainly has been my assumption. Uh, I'm looking to see if I can have a questions here. There are a low number of uh, uh, thank you. I think I got, so someone said it's so rhythmic. Um, uh, I lost it there for a second. Uh, you may go into another dimension in meditative state. And uh, although I can't claim to have actually done that, uh, perhaps in the way that's being described there, it is one of the things that I do when, when I have the fortunate opportunity to meet with one or more of my triangle partners in person or when we use uh, do the 
tri uh, triangle work over WhatsApp or over Skype. Um, we tend to use this as a way because everybody often has a slightly different cadence or, or rhythm to it. So it's one thing we've been able to do in that regard. Ah, more messages. Let's see. They're coming in pretty quickly here. Um, someone said, I would assume that putting the right stress on the words gives it more power. How do we remember where to put that right stress? Um, uh, this, is a, this is a really great question because uh, the, the technique of applying uh, the, or finding the, the pattern of stress syllables is called scansion. And in the volume, in the PDF, um, I show that there are at least two different scansions, and I'm sure that there would be uh, a, a, someone more skilled at poetic analysis might find others. So there is some subjectiveness in the analysis. That having been said, the one that I settled on and that I just discussed with you briefly, briefly has some properties or characteristics to it that, as far as I could tell, the other ones lacked. Uh, so in that regard, uh, uh, I, I arrived at a certain uh, set of stress uh, based on, it was very much informed by esoteric doctrine and by esoteric philosophy, which someone who's a perhaps better poetic uh, uh, an, uh, analyst uh, would not necessarily take those considerations into account. So I, again, I think there's some subjectivity there. Ah, many more messages. Um, Could you write your um, contact information in yes, the chat box right so that they, that. then people can contact you directly? Exactly. So I'm just putting my Gmail address there, starlingdavidhunter at gmail.com, and then anyone uh, can. So uh, someone said here, uh, so yes, would like to get the PDF. Um, oops, I've scrolled down a little bit. Oh, I need to make this larger. It helps to make this box larger. Uh, I can see much better now. Um, uh, 27 syllables in stanzas one and two, two to the power of seven is 128 syllables of the entire invocation. Rays two, Jupiter, and rays seven, Uranus, are the rulers of Aquarius. Worth pondering. See, exactly what I said. I looked at this for years and didn't make that connection, and that's why I like being able to present to other people because I'm sure there are many more things that people would discover. I, I should have seen that, but I, but I didn't, but thank you. Uh, that was Clarence. Um, thank you. Uh, Christina asked to be unmuted, uh, and so Maria Christina uh, asked to oh, be unmuted. If okay. there's time for that, um, I would love, love to take her question. And someone said, I would try to spell it in Italian with the same stress. Very interesting. That was Dora uh, Bruschi. Um, I'm not sure which Maria Christina. There's two. Uh, oh, Maria Christina Donna. Donna oh, Donna, Donna do. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you're unmuted. Thank you. Oh, Maria. Hello. Um, started, we have somewhat of a telepathic rapport with the tele, with the triangle work with Kay. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And um, to just is a this is such a beautiful affirmation of that. Um, the Tucson unit of service here has made a compilation of the many entities. I lost you after compilation. It's probably because of my internet connection. On the great invocation itself. And I mean, we've shortened it to a 22 page document, but ah. I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Yes, For please. Of today, I would note that section and may we stand with massed intent. Yes. As we approach the twin, the the festival, the new work, you know, group of world servers, seven yes. festival. Um, there's a whole. Um, man, much to delve into and deepened with the words, and may we stand with massed intent, encompassing, encompassing not just men and women of goodwill and esotericists, but hierarchy as well. 
working right. together with Mast Intent. And um, so the work, the focus on the great invocations is um, anyway, just lovely. And as well as on mantras. But anyway, to be continued, we'll be in touch. Thank you all. Oh, thank you. I'll see you in the triangle. Um, there's a couple other um, raised hands, so I'll unmute John. Hello, John. Oops. Now it's muted again. Uh, whoops. Uh, Thank you, Kathy. Me and my fast fingers. I wanted to say, Starling, that's amazing. I wasn't certain I would find this as fascinating as I do. My, uh, I don't have the mental gymnastics to be able to apply this immediately. It'd be fun to run the first iteration and the second iteration of the Great Invocation through the same process. Um, uh, yeah, you know, this is, a, this is a wonderful point because the question does come up and um, I guess I'm a, a bit agnostic about it. I have not analyzed the second one or the adapted versions in great detail. Uh, I understand that there were you know, other considerations as to why uh, another version might be made available uh, to the wider public, and also that there's translation, and that it's very it's going to be very challenging uh, to maintain uh, many of the semantic properties uh, in, in translations. I you know I believe that our intent matters a great deal, and so um, but you're, you're right. My analyses have focused primarily on the. Uh, just on the original wording, and uh, but I look forward to in you know, discussing with people and, and talking about anything they may find of interest in the in the other ones. Well, thank you. I was always curious as to how it evolved and um, what the reasons may have been, and that's probably a discussion for another time. Right. Um, but also, so if anyone emails, sends me an email and I put my email address in there at starlingdavidhunter at gmail, I'll be happy to share the slides and uh, the PDF uh, with you. And, uh, and then would look forward to hearing from any of you at any point in the future uh, about uh, questions that you have or comments or feedback on anything that's, uh, that's presented or written. Okay, um, we're going to have to close, but I'll, uh, there's one more raised hand. So, um, Ellie? Hey, what a great presentation. Listen, I have a phrase. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you. I have a phrase I use called the math I of God. I lost, uh, and again, it's probably because of my internet. Okay, connect. I have a phrase that I use jokingly, but in my, my um, just keeping levity in our spiritual work, I call it the math of God. Unlike the wrath of God, right? <laughs> yes. Oh. So, the math of God. So, and apparently I actually ordered one and have it, but I haven't gotten around to reading yet. One of the numerological analyses of the great invocation. Yes. And, uh, and so, you know, and, and this has implications for the, the symbols that haven't been released to us, but I often envision things and I wonder what I'm seeing. You know, I mean, mathematics is in everything and it's in poetry. So it's very cool. And, uh, you know, we, we, we need to look at all this stuff. But at the, the same time, the most important thing, no matter what. Uh, lost you again. The uh, most important thing, no matter what language, is the intent behind the prayer. Yes. So yeah. no matter what language somebody's speaking, that's why I'm I'm so curious about the symbols and your your analysis of the poetry actually s sort of shows you know the intent of of the four the I want not quatrains but the four stanzas right and again you know? the the things that I found you'll uh, more sort of geometrical and esoteric you'll find later in the book so you can look through the first part without knowing if you want to figure it out yourself and not be too influenced by the few things that I, uh, that I found. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's a very intriguing and thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy, too. Thank okay? you. Thank you. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Starling, for all the work that you've done. Uh, deep, my pleasure. Deep thinking. Really appreciate and, your presenting and we'll have to find time for you to come back again and share with uh, us. 
Uh, would love to. We'll just have to negotiate with my eight-year-old since it's usually her story time in Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lo loath to give up that daddy time, but thank you. Okay. All right. So let's just take a moment of silence to link up with all Triangle's workers throughout the world. Thank you again, and thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.